Welcome to the Two Journeys podcast. We're so thankful that you've taken the time to join us today and want you to know that this is just one of the many resources available to you for free from Two Journeys Ministry. If you're interested in learning more, just head over to twojourneys.org. Now on to today's episode. This is episode 13 in our Peter Bible Study podcast and our third episode in the book of 2 Peter. This episode is entitled, The Danger and Final Judgment of False Teachers, where we'll discuss 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1-22. through 22. I'm Wes Treadway, and I'm here with Pastor Andy Davis. Andy, what are we going to see in these verses we're looking at today? Well, we're going to talk about false teachers, and we're going to talk about their eternal destruction, and how zealous God is to protect His people from, I consider, the greatest danger uh, to the spiritual health and vitality of the Christian church on earth. Mm. There are um, an array of dangers um, against the people of God. There are three in particular, I think, which is um, worldliness, persecution, and false doctrine. Those are the three that Satan works in every generation. Generally, worldliness and persecution don't happen at the same time. It's either the one or the other. Either the world is enticing you and alluring you, or the world's smacking you around. But then false doctrine is a threat everywhere in the world. And so, and it's the greatest threat because it actually assaults the, the very message, the gospel that we preach. And so in this chapter, we're gonna see with very strong words, Peter talks about the eternal destruction of those who teach a false gospel. We're gonna talk also about the fact that the version here is one of license. It's one of sexual immorality and license and free living, which I think we need to hear in the easygoing West. But there's a mirror image um, assault and that's legalism. And interestingly, in Galatians chapter one, Paul there uh, promises eternal condemnation for them. If anyone should preach a gospel other than the one he preached, let him be eternally condemned. So it's the destruction of hell for false teachers of either type, legalism or license. We'll talk about that today. Very good. Well, so that we have a sense of the passage as a whole that we'll be looking at, let me read 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 22. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if He did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when He brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, He condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passions and despise authority. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, 
born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world, through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. Andy, it's a heavy passage, mm -hmm. and we want to begin in verse 1 asking the question, how are false teachers in the church similar to false prophets in Israel's history, and how are they different? All right, so... Um he, he does liken them. He says, he talks about the spirit of prophecy and where prophecy had its origin at the end of chapter one. Um, you know, how the Holy Spirit moved individuals. Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. But we know uh, in, in the history of Israel that there were false prophets that came along who spoke on, out of their own imaginations and also under the in influence of the devil. Mm. And so we think about uh, false uh, prophets that arose in the days of Jeremiah, for example, that openly contradicted his predictions uh, concerning the invasion of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and what would happen. They were wrong, wrong, wrong. Mm. And, and uh, Jeremiah was right, but they were there. I mean, there, was, there were false prophets that did, did all kinds of insulting things to him or had, you know, uh, alternate prophets like uh, now that Babylon was winning, uh, they uh, would uh, be in exile for two years, but no longer, and Jeremiah had to deal with this. So that was, that was Jeremiah's day. Um, and so Peter is saying, just as there were false prophets tormenting the Jews in the past, now we've got false teachers. Mm. And, and so I think the idea here is, is there a distinction between false prophets and false teachers? In the end, they're about the same. They're human beings who claim to speak for God, and they're not. They're speaking wrongly. Their doctrine is wrong. Their doctrine is corrupting. Um, in terms of what is the difference between prophecy and teaching, there are subtle differences. I think prophecy, you know, uh, the person saying they're speaking under the direct influence of the Holy Spirit and giving direct new revelations from God, whereas teaching, you're taking existing teachings and applying them and explaining them. False, in either case, means they're not under the influence of the Holy Spirit. They're leading in the wrong direction. Now, Peter also says that these false teachers will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Mm -hmm. 
How can the church expose false teachers and protect itself from them? Yeah, well, this reminds me very much of Acts 20, where Paul warns the Ephesian elders, even from your own number, men will arise Mm. and introduce false teaching. And so you have to be vigilant. You have to take at every moment the things that the leaders in your church are saying, and like the Bereans, test them by Scripture to see if what they say is true. I invite people to do that with all of my sermons. I want the the people to make certain that we're not leading the church astray, uh, destructive heresies. Heresies are false doctrines. And so they are wolves in sheep's clothing, Jesus calls them. They look good on the outside, but they're corrupt in the inside. And the secret aspect is the people, it seems right, there's always a mixture Mm -hmm. of truth with poison. There's, There's good, solid, clean food but some poison mixed in. And and that's why it's successful. If it were just completely false, people wouldn't listen. Mm. So it's the ability to mix in some truth and some error. Satan, the serpent, did this from the very beginning by questioning God's word. Did God really say, and you will not surely die is false. That's false doctrine. For God knows that when you eat of that fruit, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good from evil. That actually is true. So he cleverly mixes Mm. poison with truth, and the whole package is destructive. Yeah. Now, the greatest danger of false teachers seems to be the influence they have on others. Mm -hmm. How is that danger exposed in verse 2 of the passage we're looking at? Yeah, they, uh, people are going to follow these false teachers. If they didn't, they would be only a threat to themselves. Hmm. Um, but because they're leaders, because they're persuasive, they're charismatic in that sense of, of having outgoing personalities that are engaging and people are allured, like Pied Piper kind of thing, they follow them. Um, and in this way, um, the, the non-Christians who are watching don't know what the true true gospel is and they bring the the true gospel peter says into disrepute Mm. Uh, they cause people to blaspheme they cause people to misunderstand christianity now these specific fall teachers we'll get to this in a minute but they were uh teaching license they were teaching basically you're free to commit sexual immorality you're forgiven the blood of jesus has cleansed you from every sin you can you're freed from the law you can Mm. do whatever you want And what do they end up doing? But the very things their flesh has always wanted to do, and they themselves are doing it. And so they're leading people astray. We see the same thing in Revelation where this false prophetess, uh, this false woman Jezebel, leads the servants of Christ to commit sexual immorality. The same thing. It's that license teaching, the Nicolaitans, I think they were called, but it's that license side of false teaching. Yeah. Now, why is greed such a common motive for false Mm -hmm. teachers? And what does Peter say is waiting for false teachers who operate out of this motive. Okay, so this flavor of false teaching, the license side, is going to be worldly. And what it's going to do is it's going to offer what the world offers, which is, you know, I've always thought the letter P kind of sums up a lot of these things. So power, possessions, pleasures, prestige, privileges, these kinds of things, all these worldly, earthly benefits. So possessions, that's greed. Um, You're gonna get rich, so like the prosperity gospel Mm -hmm. kind of thing. So prosperity, um, that kind of thing. And power, the ability to dominate others, et cetera. They're offering what the world has, you know, like Satan tempted Jesus with. They'll give you all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. The legalism guys, they're a a different way. They're they're offering basically uh, religious pride through self-denial through asceticism, Mm -hmm. through the harsh treatment of the body, through 
a denial of all of these things. Um, that's a different flavor. But here we're dealing with license. And these folks are offering the, the greed of the world. And frankly, there could be material greed and there could be sexual greed. You know, um, it really is greed that causes a man to not be satisfied with his own wife and mm. want somebody else's wife. Mm. So he's greedy. He's looking for, he's not staying within his boundaries. So these folks are greedy, but home base of greed is money. And so a lot of these false teachers are seeking to get rich. Yeah, and it seems like there's danger on every side here. So there's danger for those within the church who would mm -hmm. be led astray by these false teachers, mm -hmm. but also danger that those outside would see this and say, if that's, if that's mm -hmm. what Christianity is, if that's what the gospel right. produces, I don't need to have anything to do with that. We've probably had both kinds of encounters in uh, in evangelistic conversations or conversations For in sure. the community. Now, it, what's your translation say in verse 3? Just read the first half. First half of verse 3 says, and in their greed, they will exploit yep. you with false words. Okay, so that word exploit is powerful. Yeah. A lot of these false teachers just fleece the flock. They, mm -hmm. they take advantage of them. Yeah. They get rich with their flock's money. Uh, you know, and they're exploiting them. And sometimes it's like, a, I think it's very much like a pyramid scheme. I'm getting rich, you can get rich too under me by the same pattern, mm. you know, and all this kind of thing and on it goes. But there's there's definitely exploitation that goes on. And it happens sexually too, where young girls, mm. young women get involved and they're, they're so entranced by this leader and they end up getting exploited sexually. Mm. So there's all kinds of exploitation going on with these false teachers. Yeah. Now, what angels is Peter referring to in verse 4, and why does Peter mention this here? Well, we don't know for sure. Some people think this is talking about the days of Noah and the, the sons of the sons of God that went after women and all that. It's a difficult passage in, in Genesis 6, but maybe it doesn't matter. There were fallen angels, mm -hmm. uh, evil angels, we call them demons, who sinned in some specific way, and they were particularly bad demons, or there was some aspect that motivated God to put them in. And the, the English translations have the word hell, mm. but we need to understand the ultimate hell is the lake of fire, yeah. uh, the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. As I read scripture, there is no being in the lake of fire now, no one. Um, that's future. That's at the end of the world at the, after the second coming of Christ. Then the devil and his angels will be thrown into the lake of fire and so also all re unredeemed human beings. Mm. This is, the Greek word is Tartarus, from which we get you know, the, a, a sense of a very deep, dark pit. And the idea here is one of torment for them, but short of the lake of fire, mm. and restriction of movement, that they're in chains, they're unable to move around. I truly believe this is what the demons were afraid of. Uh, the demoniac of the Gadarenes, he said, are you here to torment us before the appointed time? We thought we had more time. They had freedom to move around. They were afraid Jesus was going to chain them up. Why? Because he'd done that to others. And they knew very well he could do it. If he said, go to the pit, they would go to the pit. I think this is what Revelation 9 is talking about, where he unlocks the pit and they get out. So these are the worst demonic convicts there have ever been. Yeah. Imagine Butner, doors open, and all the inmates are out in your community. Terrifying. Well, how much worse if they're demons, really bad demons. Yeah. And that's Revelation 9, I think. Wow. So here the idea is a pit of restriction and torment for some particularly bad demons. I think that's what he's talking about here. Yeah, and as I was reading this even uh, earlier, it's this whole section here, verses 4 through 10, seems like one long if-then mm -hmm. clause, right? So there's sure. all of these if statements. Right. If 
the Lord can do this and if right. the Lord can do this. Then in verse 9, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly and to keep the unrighteous under punishment. So we're going to talk about that sure. in this section. Yeah. Uh, why are the dual lessons that God judges the wicked and preserves the righteous, mm -hmm. which seem to be on Peter's mind when he references yeah. the flood, essential for the church to understand that dual lesson. Right, so if you follow false teachers, you'll f fall under their condemnation. You're gonna get their punishment. So he wants he wants his readers, he wants us to fear a God who can do this kind of thing. Hmm. He has the power to destroy demons in the pit, the ancient world by a flood, and um, Sodom and Gomorrah by fire and brimstone. He has that kind of power. Mm -hmm. So we should fear following false teachers into false doctrine because look what God can do. So there's a fear factor here. Um, and also there's that sense that uh, they're not going to get away with it. Some of these folks seem to live very prosperous lives and do very well and they maybe die in their sleep and everything was fine. They seem to have escaped the hangman's noose. They don't, they, can, they don't escape anything. And so the idea is that we would understand a just retribution is coming for these folks and it's very serious. It's really what the whole chapter is about, that, that, that condemnation and judgment comes from the holy God on false teachers and those who follow their false teaching. Now, is there any more that can be said about the specific example of mm -hmm. Sodom and Gomorrah that Peter uh, draws in to this conversation here? Well, he specifically zeroes in on on the burning aspect, and, and he said makes him an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. Mm. Reminds me, because he mentioned the flood and the water and all that, and he destroyed the world by water. Uh, but Peter's going to tell us in the next chapter that the future world is reserved for fire. Um, you know, the, uh, the end of our world is fire. Uh, the elements are going to melt in the heat, and the end of the wicked is the lake of fire. So mm -hmm. we're talking about the future is fire, not water. And so he says Sodom and Gomorrah is a picture of hell. Mm -hmm. Fire and brimstone coming down directly from God is a picture of the lake of fire. And he zeroes in on that. He says making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. Yeah, and it just makes sense that mentioning Sodom and Gomorrah Next, he would mention Lot. So what are, mm -hmm. what are the lessons uh, of Lot in mm -hmm. verses 7 and 8? Right. So, um, you know, he's got, you said the if-then. What, what we're con contrasting is, look what he does to the wicked, but he also protects the righteous. Mm. And so he's going to protect his true people. Honestly, the genuine sheep are not going to follow false doctrine. They're mm -hmm. not going to follow false teachers, and that's encouraging. So don't be afraid of false teachers in that sense, like, I don't know, I, mean, I might get tricked into it. You won't. Mm. He, you're not going to be deceived. If you're elect, the, the Lord has given you an anointing from the Holy One, and you know the truth. So you'll, he's able to rescue Noah and his family. He calls Noah a preacher of righteousness here. Very interesting. Mm. Uh, we don't have any record of Noah preaching in the Old Testament, but we, we he's called a preacher here. And then you've got Lot, who is tormented, Peter says, in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. Got to tell you, Lot doesn't look so righteous in the Genesis account. But it's interesting how Peter gives new information about both Noah and Lot. Lot actually was righteous. And you have some indication of it because I think Abraham, in interceding over Sodom and Gomorrah, was concerned that God not sweep away the righteous with the wicked. And in rescuing Lot, it says that God remembered Abraham, namely his intercession. So, you know, what we learn here is that God has the power to rescue and protect his elect children, uh, including Noah and Lot. But they're surrounded by wickedness. Not, Noah was surrounded by a world in which it was only evil all the time, all the time. And Lot, same thing in Sodom and Gomorrah. So that's that picture of being rescued out from a community of wickedness. God has the power to do that. 
So the final lesson then that Peter draws here from these Old Testament examples, we mentioned a moment ago that, that God preserves the righteous mm-hmm. and judges the wicked. How does this get intensified in verses 9 and 10 as he kind of continues to look forward? Right. So that's, he's after you, you mentioned the if God can do this and if and if and if he's got, you know, these three cases that mm-hmm. he talks about, the angels thrown in the pit. Uh, the flood, Noah and the flood, and Sodom and Gomorrah, and then the rescue of Noah and Lot, etc. Then the Lord, he says, knows how to rescue godly men from trials. So he's able to get us out of the difficulties of this life. And specifically here, he's able to rescue us from false teaching and the consequences of false teaching. So that's good. And then he, on the other hand, he knows how to deal with the wicked in a variety of senses. He's going to restrain them kind of like the demons in Tartarus and their in their chains. He knows how to restrain them and he knows how to punish them. And uh, basically they're storing up wrath and he will know how to condemn them in the end. So that's who we're looking to here to address the serious problem of false teaching. So in my uh, Bible here, there's kind of a break in the middle of verse 10. So you've got that that closes out the mm-hmm. section we've just been discussing. Right. And then it begins a new paragraph here in, in my copy yep. of the Mine ESV. Too. It says, bold and willful, mm-hmm. they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. What yeah. does Peter reveal in verse 10 here about the way that these false teachers are behaving? Well, at the end of that first paragraph, above the, the split or break mm-hmm. in verse 10, what do you have there? Uh, he talks about the nature of these false teachers. What do you have? Beginning of verse 10. Yep, it says, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion right. and despise authority. All right, so that's the key phrase there. First of all, lust of defiling passions, that's what they're all about. Mm-hmm. They're licensed teachers saying, if it feels good, do it. Yeah. If you enjoy it, you get want to get drunk, get drunk. You want to have sex, have sex. You want, I mean, just live life to the fullest. That's what, mm-hmm. that's what they're teaching. But it's founded on the shed blood of Christ and his resurrection victory. That's disgusting. Mm-hmm. But out of that, we now are free to live the life we've always wanted to live. It's very evil. But it also says about them, it's unique, that they, that they despise authority. Despise meaning think very little of. They, they, and then it seems they extend it to celestial beings. So angels and maybe demons. So it's almost like they're taking authority over invisible beings. So this may be a certain kind of false teaching, but it shows a fundamental arrogance that these false teachers have. Mm-hmm. They're very arrogant and uppity. And they, um, they're not afraid to, you know, to, I, I think sometimes you see it with some of these charismatic teachers to, to boss the devil around. Mm. They're, they're, they're binding the devil and, and making statements about demons and they're doing all this sort of stuff and they don't know what they're dealing with. And he's going to liken them to animals. They're like creatures of instinct. They don't have any idea what they're Mm. dealing with. And I find this very interesting because Jude gives almost exactly the same kind of teaching with slightly different words. And he's saying, we ought to respect angelic beings, not worship them. And we need to know there are fallen angels, demons, but we shouldn't be flippant or arrogant Mm. about them. They are powers and principalities. They are rulers in the heavenly realms. They have authority, even though they're using their authority for wickedness and corruption, God upholds their right to rule. Mm. Find it very interesting, like he upholds tyrants' right to rule and then judges them for what they do with it. He does the same thing with demons. It's a very interesting teaching here. 
Yeah. Now in verses 11 and 12, there's even that use of the word, uh, Peter says, like irrational animals. Mm -hmm. How do verses 11 and 12 show the irrationality of these false yeah. teachers? Well, I think all sin is irrational. They're just, they're, it's, it's insane in general. But these particular folks, they are in way over their heads. Uh, we, we, I mean, you look at, at Daniel 10 when the holy angel shows up and Daniel's on the ground and he can't breathe. And that's a holy angel. And that holy angel said he couldn't get past the prince of Persia. So the prince of Persia is wicked and more powerful than he is. And we don't even know if that's Satan. It might just be a demon, an archangel, uh, an evil archangel. We don't have any idea. We're just talking about angels and demons, and they are vastly more powerful than we are. Mm. And these false teachers are bold and arrogant and are naming it and claiming it. And they don't know what they're talking about. They're like animals. They have no idea what they're dealing with mm. and how over there and how much, honestly, they're being taken captive by Satan to do his will, mm -hmm. and they're being tricked by him. So they're just tools and pawns, but they're basically like he says, creatures of instinct born only to be caught and destroyed. And like beasts, he said, they're going to perish. So how then does the depravity of these false teachers, as we see in verses 13 and 14, lead them to do great wickedness? Well, it's this is very, very uh, convicting. You read this. First of all, they're going to be judged. They're going to they're going to be paid back. Payback's coming. There's no doubt about mm. it. But then they talk about uh, just they're they're very um, free in the exercise of their pleasures. You get a sense of kind of like open orgies or or they've thrown off all restraint. Mm. They're very bold in this, and it says, and and this stuck stuck with me when I first meditated on it, memorized it with eyes full of adultery. Interesting. Their eyes are roaming. They're they're with one girl, but they're ready for the next one. So it's like a harem kind of thing. And and they they're just insatiable, mm. and they never stop sinning. They they go from morning to afternoon to evening to late at night, and they do it all over again the next day. So you get the feeling of drunkenness or drug abuse, and the feeling also of sexual immorality. And they have as. Paul says in another place, a continual lust for more. Mm. The more they do it, the more they want to do it. It's an addictive lifestyle. Yeah. Now, how are these false teachers like Balaam? Mm -hmm. Why does Peter use the donkey to make this point in verses 15 and 16? Well, again, Peter's teaching us things about Balaam we didn't know. We did meet Balaam, but mm -hmm. we didn't realize just how evil he was. Mm. Um, he seems like a kind of a Gentile prophet with a gift and that God, you know, deals with him kind of you know, through his donkey, um, you know, talks to him, interestingly, and Peter mentions that here. Um, but, you know, just make certain you only say what you're supposed to say. And it seems like he isn't interested in the money. He said, if you were to give me a whole house full of gold, I'm not going to say anything except what God tells me to say. So he seems like he's doing pretty well. But we find out that it was Balaam that led the Israelites to sin with the Baal of Peor mm -hmm. and with, um, you know, some Midianite party girls and some women. He said, I feel like that was part two. Look, all that that prophecy stuff didn't work. He goes to the king, you know, the king of Moab. He says, but what you really need to do is seduce them with idolatry and with women. Hmm. So he taught them how to do this. So wow. he was a leader in corruption. And it seemed he got paid. It says here, Peter says he loved the wages of wickedness. So he was covetous and adulterous or immoral. Balaam, therefore, is a symbol for these kinds of false teachers. Hmm. Now, what does Peter say is the fate 
of these false teachers after comparing them to waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. Okay, so let's talk about those phrases. Springs without water means, you know, you're thirsty, you go there, you need you need a drink to live, but there's no water there. Hmm. So there's no truth in their teachings. It will not satisfy you. Yeah. Some people have likened like uh, internet uh, pornography to like uh, a thirst that you try to slake with uh, salt water. And the more you drink, the thirstier you get. And it just absolutely doesn't satisfy. So mm -hmm. that's, these folks are like that, springs without water. And mist driven by a storm means they're very unstable. They go here and there, they're, they're wispy, mm -hmm. and they have no stability, no strength, no truth. That's what they like. But what, what this um, translation says, blackest darkness mm -hmm. is reserved for them. That's that my translation, what does yours say? Gloom of utter darkness. Yeah, so this is hell. This is talking about, you know, depart from me who are cursed into the eternal fire, but also these will go away into outer or utter darkness. Mm -hmm. So there's a sense of darkness, dark fire. So there's no light, but there's heat. It's judgment, and so here, the uh, here it's it's uh, what uh, superlative, comparative superlative. Blackest darkness is reserved for them, but that may be just this translation. It's it's a an extreme punishment is waiting for these false teachers. Yeah. I do not believe in equal punishment in hell. I think there are gradations of suffering, based on the corruption of the individual. Mm. Now, what does verse 18 reveal about the teaching strategies and the message of these false teachers? Well, they're going after lust. They're appealing to flesh. They're appealing to what people want. Our bodies are designed by God to yearn for and need certain things um, and, and enjoy them, pleasures. What the flesh does, what we talk about the sin nature of the flesh, is takes those natural bodily drives and desires and pushes them beyond boundaries that God's word has set up. These people appeal to that. They say, you know you want it. You know you want pleasure. Mm. You know you want sex. You know you want to get drunk and, and to feel good. I th I'm telling you, you can, and I'll show you how. Well, these people are experts at it. They've done it more than you have. They've had more orgies. They've had more women. They've had whatever. They'll lead you in the paths of corruption. So they're appealing to lust and people follow them. They're excited by that and they enjoy it. And so they entice people who are just in the process of escaping from satanic corruption. They're being saved by the true gospel. Now along come these false teachers and they leave the true way and follow these mm. men of darkness. Yeah, I've thought about that with 2 Timothy in chapter 4 where it talks about those who would have itching ears and mm -hmm. they would accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and think, mm -hmm. And if, if people are really given over to uh, their sinful desires and they, they are looking for someone who would reinforce that or give them justification for what they're doing, it seems like that's what's happening here. These teachers are just saying, oh yeah, you wanna go after that? Go after it and let, yeah. me, let me show you how you can do that. Exactly. Mm. Now, what false promises mm -hmm. do the teachers of license make? How can they uh, not deliver freedom, though they promise it, yeah. but only greater enslavement? Yeah, well, it, you said it, the word is freedom. And mm -hmm. I tell you what, when I look around and I look at the events of 2020 mm -hmm. and on to 2021 and the forces that are at work in our country, I would have to sum it up under the issue of autonomy, self-definition, self or just simply freedom. People having the freedom to define themselves, their gender, mm -hmm. to identify as what they want, to do what they want, when they want, mm -hmm. the freedom to kill uh, babies that are conceived in their wombs because they had fornication or they had other things like that, just freedom. But it's a false definition of freedom. It's I get to do whatever I want, whenever I want. But what Jesus said is anyone who sins is a slave to sin. You don't understand, you've got chains all over 
your soul. Mm. Now, people who ultimately are on the streets because of an addiction to um, a narcotic, they probably know that they're enslaved. Um, but they just can't get out, they can't escape. People who are just beginning that, they don't see the invisible chains that Satan's wrapping around their souls, the addictions, the allure, and they're drawn in. And so these false teachers promise them freedom, but the ones that are promising, the false teachers themselves, are more enslaved than anyone else. They themselves are slaves to their own passions, and their own drives and desires. Mm. So they're uh, selling a false freedom. Jesus gives the real freedom. And the real freedom is to be what God wants you to be and do what God wants you to do. Now that's freedom. I run in the path of your commands for you have set my heart free. Mm -hmm. Freedom is to be what God made you to be. Like Jesus talked about the, the creature and then the realm, birds of the air fish of the sea, lilies of the field. So these are all the creature and where it's supposed to be. Birds are made for the air. Fish are made for the sea. You can't cross those. The birds are not made for the bottom of the sea. Mm -mm. And the fish are not made to soar through the, through the Grand Canyon on thermals. They're just made for, well, we're made for certain things too. Mm. And when we do, like Eric Little said in that movie, when I do what God wants me to do, I feel his pleasure. There's a delight and we're gonna know that freedom in heaven. That's real freedom, to be what God made you to be. Mm. Now, Andy, help us understand verse 20 and 21. Why are such people worse off than they were before they heard the gospel? Yeah. Why would it have been better never to have heard the gospel mm -hmm. at all? Well, like the author to Hebrews said, you know, uh, once you've heard the gospel and you end up trampling Jesus underfoot, there's no other sacrifice left. There's no other message. Mm -hmm. You've heard the best news there is to hear and it didn't save you. There's nothing left for you. And so it would have been better if they're living that kind of life to have never heard the gospel because mm -hmm. now there's a message for them. But now that they're living like this after having heard the gospel, it's worse for them. And I wanna say this also, I believe in gradations of punishment in hell, and based on Jesus' statement in Matthew 11 and some other statements, it's in proportion to how much biblical truth you knew mm. and you didn't live up to it. Wow. So it's, it's worse, uh, as I've said before, the worst place ever to go to hell from is from a healthy Christian family mm. and a healthy Christian church. You've heard the truth. You've seen it lived in front of you. Godly parents lived it in front of you. They prayed for you. No, they weren't perfect, but they were genuine Christians and you turned your back on it. Uh, it is a far greater punishment because you saw these things and learned them and you still didn't follow them. Whereas the one who is born, lived and died, never having heard the name of Jesus, goes to hell, not because he never heard of Jesus, but because he violated his conscience and violated the inbred moral law. But his punishment won't be as severe as somebody who lived the same kind of immoral life in a Christian context. Mm. It would have been better for them if they had never heard the gospel. Wow. Now, Andy, what do these final Proverbs reveal about the true nature of those who forsake the gospel and go back to an old pattern of sin? And what final thoughts do you have for us right. on this passage? Well, here, what it is is that they weren't transformed. A dog is a dog. I mean, in the Bible, dogs aren't good. I know that we we love dogs and pets and all that, but in the Bible, dogs generally don't do well. What am I, a dead dog? You know, mm. that's like outside of the dogs, you know? Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil. You know, they're not generally seen as pets, but reprehensible creatures. And the same thing with pigs. Pigs are not seen to be delicious, bacon, ham, all that kind of stuff we love. None of that. We're talking uh, about a disgusting, wallowing, 
filthy creature. So you got snarling junkyard dogs that vomited, okay, and they lick up their vomit. They go back to their vomit. You got ugly pigs who you hose down and the dirt is taken off, but they're still pigs. And the idea is they've not been transformed. So we're talking about people who clean themselves up morally, but then go back to their darkness and their wickedness. So that's the image here is of people who heard the gospel, cleaned some things up, started attending church, but they weren't transformed and they go back to their old life. Mm. That's, I think, what we end up with here. So. Any final thoughts for us in this passage, Andy? Well, it's terrifying. You know, you look at this chapter and you say, wow, Lord, protect me from false doctrine. Yeah. You know, and I think it's good. Keep these two pillars up. Galatians is all about the opposite pillar, which is legalism. Talking about the Judaizers, how you must obey the law in order to be saved. Uh, that's just as deadly. And the, you know, the preacher of legalism is just as worthy of hell as the preacher of license. But we need to understand we've got those two pillars up in our hearts too. We're constantly moving from legalism to license and back again. Frequently, this is the rhythm where you'll be enticed and allured and commit some kind of you know, immorality in your heart and soul and maybe even with your body. And in order to fix it, you veer over to legalism. You try to do a bunch of good works to feel better about yourself and all that. It's so hard to stay on the straight and narrow of a gospel of grace when you're forgiven by grace alone through faith alone. And it results in holiness. It results mm. in a life of patterned after Christ. That's right down the middle. That's the narrow road that leads to heaven. Neither legalism nor license. Praise God for the gospel that gives us hope in the midst of that, that fight along the journey. Well, this has been episode 13 in our Peter Bible Study podcast, and we want to invite you to join us next time for episode 14 entitled, Preparing for the Day of the Lord, where we'll continue in 2 Peter discussing 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 18. Thank you for listening to the Two Journeys podcast, and may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Thank you for listening to this resource from twojourneys.org. Feel free to use and share this content to spread the knowledge of God and build His kingdom. Only we ask that you do so for non-commercial purposes and in accordance with the copyright policy found at twojourneys.org. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life, the internal journey of sanctification and the external journey of gospel advancement. We do this by exporting biblical teaching for the good of Christ's church and for the glory of God.